Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for March has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are tremendous. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and do let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And I'm going to try and sit up because I've just realised that I, I'm slouching now that I'm over eight months pregnant. I need to sit up to the microphone, but um, do excuse me if I kind of drift in and out of, of sound because I'm, yes, rather large. And um, and yes, so you are on, you're on the cusp. Yeah. Well, it doesn't feel like it, but I guess I am. Just three weeks to go now. And um, and, and that means that um, we should probably take this opportunity to remind you that this is our penultimate episode of the Right for Your Life podcast before we go on joint maternity leave. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I say that, you know, aware that you're probably going to do most of the hard hard work. I know you'll be there on the other side of the uh, of the North Sea, though, Ian. If ever I need anything, I know that I can just ask. I'll be there on in spirits and on FaceTime. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be very strange to have a little break, but um, yeah, imagine all the things we can get done, eh? Well, I'm not going to be able to get much done, really. Reality of the situation. I'm already putting far too much pressure on myself. I've been on maternity leave now for a week and a half and feel like I'm wasting absolutely every minute if I'm not doing something. It's ridiculous. Well, the whole point of maternity leave, of course, is to have a bit of a, a bit of a break and then ha- then have a baby and then have everything apart from a break. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, actually, I'm surprised at how, how difficult I found it to, to let, leave work behind. I'm not sitting thinking about work at all. But I certainly am kind of a little bit tense inside. I think just physically winding down after a very like pressured job and a pressured life, it takes a lot lot more. I think it actually takes a conscious, concerted effort to try to let let all that go, you know? So that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm focusing on now. Before I focus on writing, I'm doing reading and I'm trying to sort my mind out a little bit just to say you know what? Doing nothing for a little bit is okay. Um, so yeah, there's a great piece actually in Brain Pickings this week, which we can put in the show notes uh, about how important it is to allow yourself to get bored every so often and just give yourself space for contemplation. I think this is. Uh, should we make this our impromptu uh, topic for the rest of the show? <laughs> about boredom and doing nothing. Not just about boredom and doing nothing, but I've got. I wanted to talk briefly about my plans for your maternity leave. So, it basically, not doing the podcast, and I think that ties in quite well with what you're saying in terms of boredom and 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 a kind of state of mind issue. Um, and and so, I, th- I yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really important topic for for most writers, but it's one that's particularly problematic in our more hectic, more online world that we live in these days. Um, we're never bored. We have no excuse for boredom. And I say excuse because it, 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 we are made to sometimes feel like being bored 
or or kind of having nothing immediately pressing to do or not or, or not filling spare time even if it's just two minutes we fill that time immediately with our phones and some of the nonsense and um and and I haven't read this piece that you're talking about, so I'd like to hear more about it via you. But I suspect it's that idea of um, of of that free time to not do anything is actually quite good for focusing on something. It's kind of it's a, a space to mentally um, uh, work without actually working or fretting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this piece, um, I'm I'm sure lots of our listeners know about brain pickings. Um, it's a really great resource. I find all sorts of interesting things come out of um, this blog. Um, and this is a collection of famous thinkers throughout history and their ideas about boredom and the pros and cons. Yeah, so it's it's quite deep stuff. It's It involves a lot of quotes, but for me, it was more just like a trigger to say, oh, hang on a minute. I shouldn't actually be thinking, okay, how many words am I writing today? Have I done any poetry? Blah, 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 blah. When I've just literally been doing insane amounts of work and juggling different things in my life, surely I'll do, be, do better writing if I just actually do nothing, at least for one day. And I haven't even managed that in a week and a half to do nothing for one day. And as, you know, when the baby comes, I mean, uh, you're going to... Isn't this an issue about focus and focusing on potentially one thing at a time? So let's say, you know, that's rare that we do that. Or if we have a busy work life and have children, then it's very difficult to focus on one thing at a time. But is it the idea that if you do allow yourself to forget all other things and focus on one thing, chances are you'll do that one thing better? Mm, Yeah. I think so. And I think that's my issue is that I, if I know there are other things I need to do before the baby's going to come, I feel like I need to do them first. Whereas I could say, well, hang on a minute. You know, if, if the baby came early and I hadn't, you know, washed enough baby clothes, then that didn't really matter because I can do that afterwards. Whereas if the baby comes early and I haven't done all the writing I wanted to do, then that would be a serious problem. But I see it as more of an easy short attainable task to complete to to get everything ready so I think I'm just trying to make sure that everything is ready and then clear this this amazing space but I know when I get to that amazing space that I've cleared maybe two days before I have the baby um I still won't be finished with all the little tasks I managed to find for myself it's just I'm basically I'm not ready I don't think to sit down and get into the next piece of big writing you know but there's a really good reason why you're not ready to do that. And that's because you're about to have your second child in three weeks. I know. And I think, you know, comparing yourself to other writers, I know that The Lighthouse, that novel that was written by, what's she called? Alison, do you remember? Yes. Yes. Alison. Alison. Our mate Alison, she wrote that. Um, she wrote that on her maternity leave while she had a baby. And when you hear things like that, you're like, oh, really? Fine. It is possible. <laughs> so I do know that you can do these things, you know, but whew, you've got to be pretty um, militant about it. But circumstances change and they've come and they go. Stuff happens that we don't expect. Stuff happens that we plan for. And I think it's important to, I think it's really difficult, but I think it's really important to recognise when 
an opportunity arises to work on a specific thing or in your case to not work at all and kind of getting your priorities right so I think that in your position right now I know that we've talked for several months about potentially the fact that you're off work and you're going to be on maternity leave and of course you're going to have times when you know the baby is like you know having a nap and, and stuff like that there will be of course periods in the day where you might actually get to write some poetry but if if you're absolutely wiped out tired which you're going to be um or you've had a particularly stressful night which you're going to have then it's important to realize that if you can't get any writing done or in your words if you're not ready then that's because your focus is on the fact that you've had a new baby you know and that could apply to someone if they've just started a new job or um or preparing for a wedding or had a i don't know a death in the family like all of these things that are part of life they are totally good reasons to um uh stop and focus on getting those life things in order because most of the time unless your complete income is from writing then they're more important um and and but even if you're not so uh, so i so basically don't don't worry in the slightest that you don't feel like writing poetry when you're about to give birth <laughs> that's my that's my advice to you if you you didn't ask for any did you Oh, well, no, I'm always delighted to have your advice. Um, yeah, I know. Well, if I've got three weeks left, I kind of see it as I'm going to do another week probably of, of nobbing around. I can't really think of a better way to describe it. Doing little bits and bobs, trying to relax and not worrying too much about doing anything. And then I think, you know what? I might, I really do think I might have a week where I could do a little bit of writing here and there. And as long as I don't put too much pressure on myself about what it is I achieve um, during that week, I think I actually really look forward to it. I think maybe <laughs> this idea of having stopping work, having five weeks. I mean, because another thing is, is that we've talked a lot over the last few months about how difficult it is to squeeze in writing and amongst everything else. And when you know that you have five weeks and people know you have five weeks, I think that's another thing. I, I almost think that people are going to look at it and be like, well, you had five weeks. What were you doing? Like that, this other people's expectations, you know, which is ludicrous. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if I'm sitting on my bottom eating Haribos, gummy bears. <laughs> um, it's true. And no one need know. <laughs> I'm not, by the way. Not tonight. I'm not anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are you planning to do then while I'm um, doing all the other baby bits and bobs? So, one of the problems that I suffer from is that flaky I... Flaky skin? Flaky skin, itchy scalp, <laughs> and um, tennis elbow. Tennis elbow, oh dear. That's three of the problems. Writer's wrist. Writer's wrist, in inverted commas. Um, one of the problems I suffer from is um, being really bad at... Um, um, at at honesty when it comes to how much time I have available to do things. Mm. So I'm always having interesting ideas about things to do. Um, I'm always very good at, at researching things. And I'm very good at um, occasionally actually doing some things. So, you know, like the, this podcast, we've been doing it for a long time. Um, you know, I managed to write a novel. So I, I, I can apply myself, but I, I always... I always grossly underestimate how long things really will take um and anyway despite that i've been thinking about um 
what to do when, because I knew that you weren't going to be able to do the podcast, at least for a little while. And and so I thought, well, my first reaction was, well, that's okay, I'll just do some interviews. I will do what I've done before and I will get guest hosts in and it doesn't matter how long it takes for Donna to return. That's what I'll do. That's fine. And, um, and I'll do that. Um, but then the more I thought about that, the more I kind of realized and appreciated the fact that it takes a lot of time and energy to to do that you have to be in constant email contact with lots of people get people lined up make sure that you get people who've got the right equipment there are lots of kind of potential stumbling blocks so that was at the point where I thought well okay we'll we'll take a break from the the podcast that's fine and um and I'll use it as an opportunity to do something else um, and that was quite an exciting, liberating thought because I've had lots of ideas, and um, and and I've talked about them in the past. I had the Story Club idea, which was very short-lived. Um, uh, I've had a couple of other ideas. I've got my my uh, pilot uh, uh, podcast for you know the fictional podcast I've talked about. I still need to put that on the internet, and I will. That that is something that I will definitely do, hopefully in the next month or so. Um, but but I don't see that as being something I can really focus on sort of long term. But then, you know, I've also, something I've always wanted to do was to launch some kind of membership site, Donna. Um, and, you know, to try and turn turn my internet activity into kind of a, a side business of sorts. And so I've, I've been planning and researching different ways that I could potentially have a kind of a club for writers and... and uh, um, it would be great. I would have some kind of potentially a, maybe a free podcast to lure people in that I'd do myself. And um, and then people could become full members and pay a monthly or an annual fee and they can get access to all kinds of extra resources that I've put together. Things like my post-it note system. It could be special episodes of the podcast. It could be interviews. It could be a couple of ebooks, it could be email courses. I've got lots of sort of material that I've built over the years and sort of notes that I could turn into a kind of writer's club. And maybe there's a forum where people could interact or maybe we could use a piece of software where we actually get people together and it could be fantastic and like a real community. That's something I've always enjoyed doing is building writing communities. And um, I'm really excited about this idea. And you know what? Over the next few months... What a perfect time to put something like that in place. Absolutely. Well, very exciting. I look forward to following your progress. Well, the thing is, I've decided I'm not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) Great. Okay. Well, I'm really glad that you went into so much detail about it then. Well, I know, because it's something that I hope to do in the future. But the thing that I realised, and this is to go back to my point about um, how long I you know, should estimate these things might take, is that sort of thing needs a bit of time <laughs> and a bit of... Um, even though I've thought about it lots and I've done all the research, I know all the different bits of software and membership platforms, I know exactly how I could do it. I could probably get a a kind of a minimum viable product, as they say, up and running in a couple of weeks. But if you are going to do something like that, then it needs to be done properly. So I don't really have the time. And so I've been trying to force myself to think about priorities and focus, which is what we've talked about at the start of the show. And you might have noticed the one thing that I haven't mentioned here is my second novel, which I'm still slugging away at. And 
finding it tricky, as we've discussed previously. And if I look back in a year's time and I haven't written that novel, I will be mortified <laughs> no matter what, what other success. Maybe I've got the greatest, fantastic membership scheme come writer's club in the world. If I haven't written my second novel, which is what I am primarily here to do, is um, it would be it would be criminal. So instead of doing all those things, I am going to put that on the side burner, if, which is slightly different to a back burner. Um, it's in a different position for a start. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna um, go and finish this novel instead. Yes. And um, in order to do that, I think I'm probably gonna have to take another step and retreat slightly from the internet as a whole. Mm. Yes, a little a little time out. I think so, and um, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to sort of disappear completely, but it's 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 kind of happened naturally. I don't know if anyone's particularly noticed or particularly cares. Probably not, but over certainly since Christmas, I've definitely been on Twitter less, for example. And um, part of the reason for that is that I've become, you know, I've I've become more. <laughs> such a ridiculous sentence. I've become more important at work. You know, I've I've got a managerial role in the place where I work and. And um, it's high. It's much more high pressure. I'm much busier. I've got a lot more going on. I manage people, and it's it's quite stressful. So when I get home, the idea of you know I really and the fact that I've just moved house, of course, but it's quite difficult to do all those things at work. I'm multitasking much more basically, and to continue multitasking out of work with doing lots of stuff and trying to write a novel, I think it's just never going to happen. And it really needs to happen, and I want it to happen. So I think I'm going to continue my retreat from the internet, go into my little hidey hole, and um, get my get my book finished. Mm. Sounds great. It really does. It sounds awesome. And I have also, because I had a you know very online job, um, and having to do social media every day, just coming away from that has been fantastic. And... Um, and I feel like I'm weaning myself off slightly. I've got more time now to obviously spend on my own channels, but I'm just not doing it. I'm thinking, you know what? Don't need to. Don't need to fill that social media hole with other, you know, other kind of things. So um, it's just it's good. It's, this is good, Ian. It's good for us. We're going to get writing done eventually. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Katsuro Ishiguru um, shortly in the podcast. Um and and as far as I know, he's not someone. He doesn't have a podcast or a blog, or or a, um, I don't know this, but I, I, I don't think he's known for his Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And yet, he's had an extremely successful, interesting literary career. Yes, and one that I really think is, when you look at it, which we will in a minute, it's, it's one that I'd like. I would like his. I would like to be him, not him, but I would like to be like him, like a writer like him. I would like to be. <laughs> you, you like you like to be like him, but you like him, but me, and not with his books, with my own books, but books like his books and the same kind of frequency. And anyway, we'll get onto it, won't we? We'll get onto it. But my my point was that you know there are lots of there is this you know it's kind of a half truth, if that maybe it's a, a quarter truth um, that you have to be you have to combine being on the internet all the time 
and writing a thousand words a day. And you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm effectively saying that's not happening for me. I'm struggling with it. I'm, I'm bad at it. I can't do both. And so I'm going to retreat and, 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 and focus on one thing and then come back bigger and better than ever with a, a, a completed novel and, um, and lots of exciting other things to focus on. Cause I don't just want to retreat forever because I really enjoy doing these things. You know, we, we hope to be back and we hope that, you know, for example, if, if someone listened to my description of what my writer's club might be like and, um, and they think they might be interested, please send me an email, hello at ianbroom.com, let me know and I will, you know, if, I, if, I, if 100 people get in touch and say, I'm happy to give you a small amount of cash every month for that kind of thing, mate, then um, I'll probably do it at some point. But um, I don't have those guarantees now. But I do guarantee that I will have a novel at the end of it um, uh, of, the, of the next few months if I if I focus on that. So that's what I'm going for. But feel free to get in touch if you like the other idea too. Hmm, absolutely. And when we're talking about retreating a little bit uh, from the online world, but I mean we are particularly talking about um, communicating our own messages because it's. I don't see how you can how you can do anything without being online and seeing what's going on with other people. And it's been fantastic, actually, even though I've done no writing in the last week and a half, I have been doing so much reading and so much like exploration of areas I've been meaning to, to kind of delve a bit deeper into for a long time. And it's been fantastic. Um, and I even, I popped back up to the bookshop where I had the launch of my poetry collection. It's a little international bookshop in the um, the very north of Copenhagen. I just went in, you know, had a chat, had a little coffee because they, they do, you know, they make teas and coffees to kind of keep things going. And just had a look around at the books. And it was fantastic because, apart from, you know, being back where I, I did my, my little launch to know that, that it's going really well for them and it's going so well that they the novels they, they keep having they're having trouble basically restocking the novel section of their shop because they're selling so many and when they said that to me I was like that's incredible that's absolutely amazing um and it was just really nice to see a bookshop that's thriving and a, a, that is a little community a real community it's not online it's actually a physical one you know people sitting around reading in the shop browsing chatting about books um, and it was wonderful. And I was asking them, you know, when, what, what's the best time of year then? It, before Christmas is obviously the best time of the year, they said. But um, I was asking about um, long lists and short lists and whether that made a big difference for a bookshop like that of that size. Um, and they said to me that um, they have people that when the, the long or the short lists come out, rather, they, they pre-order, they order up basically and buy all of the books off a short list, like the book of short list so that they can read them and follow in the whole selection process as well and be part of it. It's incredible that people are doing that and that have time to do that. It's true. And, um, yeah, it is amazing. But it's also fantastic that a presumably quite small little bookshop in Copenhagen is doing really well. Yeah, and it's an international bookshop. It's got, you know, English-language books, which you... There are a few shops that, that sell them in Copenhagen, but I think it's more this idea of about a community and... That's what they've been really good at building up and doing events. And and I'm just thinking, oh, it's so nice to just retreat from the online world to go actually into a physical world with books where I can go around and not just buy books, but, but kind of talk about books. And yeah, it felt nice. Yeah. 
No, I can I can completely imagine that that would feel nice, and I think um, I, I like you. I, I don't think it's possible. I don't necessarily want to just sort of disappear completely. I'm still going to use I'm still going to use Twitter and and uh, for example, and I'm you know I I might for example start sharing more of my writing process as I'm working on the novel. You know, some even if it's just you know pictures of me working on drafts or whatever it might be just sort of share that side of things a bit more but what i'm trying to what i'm trying to do is to remove the um uh, uh remove the pressure of pressing publish and uh, and with, i think mentally without that kind of need to publish constantly whether that's the podcast or twitter or the blog or something like that um removing that pressure i can just focus on uh, on the writing and and also like you said reading and maybe I don't get a chance to do much wandering around in bookshops unfortunately but um, yeah that that idea of 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 reading things that I've been meaning to read and sort of yeah I don't know sort of focus, removing the pressure to publish I think is the best way I can and think of saying it so that I can focus on the sort of stuff that you're you're talking about I should I should say that the one thing that I do plan to keep going is the newsletter which is quite straightforward for me to write so I will keep up the sort of weekly weekly to fortnightly newsletter that I do so that's if, if you want to keep in touch with um, what I'm up to and what you know when the podcast might be coming back or or, or, or general information then the newsletter is the place to go that's ianbroom.com slash mailing hyphen list um but yeah, no, I mean, that sounds... I'm, I'm, I'm pleased you're having more chance to read. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, and part of, uh, of this whole more reading and more delving into other writers' lives and things that I've been doing over the last week and a half has involved Kazuo Ishiguro, as we mentioned earlier. Um, and I think it's probably known to a lot of... Well, I would imagine it in the US as well, listeners in the US, but certainly UK listeners... Um, and you said that you didn't really know much about his writing career. I mean, you obviously know the name and you know some of his books, but um, I just wanted to share a couple of things about about him as a writer that have, I find really interesting. Before we do that, because mm. this feels like it's the Ishiguru section of the podcast, do you think this, this seems like an opportune moment to uh, take a quick break and talk about our sponsor? How do you feel about that? <laughs> Go on then, yeah, fine. You save up, save up your Ishiguru section. All right. Get ready. And I'm going to talk about lynda.com. Because I think it's time to invest in yourself this year and start learning something new at lynda.com with a free 10-day trial. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. You can sign up for your free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash WFYL and that will get you unlimited access to every single course on lynda.com Access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone plus Android mobile devices. Uh, access to new courses, which, as we say, are added every single week. And some of the courses and videos that are related to us in the writing world include Getting Things Done, which is hosted by the man himself, David Allen. Uh, 
business writing fundamentals, grammar fundamentals, and breaking out of a rut. And I myself have used uh, lynda.com in the past to brush up my skills on uh, kind of platform building things for us authors. So things like how to um, edit a podcast in uh, uh, or edit anything really in uh, GarageBand. I've also been using it to edit stuff in Logic. So if I don't know how to, I think this is important. So actually, it isn't. Uh, Linda is fantastic for kind of learning how to do the whole job lot. So if you kind of want to learn something like Logic or GarageBand, then you have everything you need to do all of that. You can learn the entire thing, and um, and that's fantastic. But if you just kind of want to know how to do a very specific thing, whether it's I don't know um, how to. I don't know, join two pieces of audio together or split them up or any any particular kind of um, task, then the way that the videos are separated and, and, and kind of chunked up make it really useful to find what you want quickly. So you can kind of dip in and out as well as spend hours learning something in a kind of more complete way. Anyway, you should right now go on, check it out, lynda.com, get your free 10-day trial. And that URL again is lynda.com slash WFYL. And, um, and that will let them know that you heard all about them by the Right for Life podcast. So a big thank you to lynda.com for sponsoring the show again and for supporting 5x5 as a whole. Yes, absolutely. Tell me about Katsuo. I don't want to now. I just want to go off and try lynda.com. Well, you're about to go on your maternity leave. You should <laughs> totally. soddle. <laughs> it's the perfect time. Yeah. Um well, I, like you, were kind of new about Kazuo Ishiguro. I, I mean, he's, you know, a very famous writer, but I didn't really know much about what he'd written. Um, and a few weeks back, uh, we were tweeted a link to... Um, an, well, it wasn't actually a link. It was just a nod to an upcoming interview um, around about the time of the release of his new novel, which happened earlier this month, called The Buried Giant. And that was uh, our friend of the show, at Clue underscore Less who tweeted us about the fact that this interview was going to take place. Um, uh, and I had a listen to it, and it was great. And I would recommend everybody to have a little listen. I'll put it in the show notes. It's the front row um, uh, from BBC Radio 4 did an interview, I think it's about half an hour long, with Kazuo Ishiguro, just chatting about his life as a writer and his inspirations and, yeah, how he's changed, I guess, because he has taken 10 years to write this this last book and when you hear that you think okay cool i mean uh, donna tart with the goldfinch can you remember how long that took her that was, that was oh long. like it was uh ages absolutely ages i can't remember whether it was more than 10 years but it was around about then and there's a lot of talk at the time about oh you know she's a slow writer but it apparently doesn't matter because you know every time she puts a book out it gets noticed and gets nominated and and whatnot same with Kazuo Ishiguro. Ten years. What has he been doing for ten years? He's been sitting imagining ogres and dragons um, in a kind of fantasy post-Arthurian landscape in, in the UK. That's what he's been doing for ten whole years. Without any anyone going, what are you doing? Where's that book? I've heard that he's also been eating quite a lot of Haribo. <laughs> well, I just think... You hear that there's so much pressure on writers to be, you know, really, really productive and to be online and to be doing all this stuff. But Ishiguro is a writer who, he's written seven novels now. 
He's had four Booker Prize nominations. He's won the Booker Prize already in 1989 for The Remains of the Day. I don't know if you've, you've read it or you've seen the film with Anthony Hopkins. I've read The Rem- Remains of the Day. Ah, what did you think? Um, I thought it was great. It was a long time ago. I might, I might even have done it um, uh, um, at Sixth Form College. I can't quite remember, but I, yeah, I think I probably did. I seem to remember, I seem to remember talking about it a lot, which probably means I was in some kind of class. Maybe I did it at university, but it was, um, uh, I really enjoyed it. It's a very good book. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'd never read the book, but I saw the film and enjoyed the film greatly. And I've, I've, I've also, um, sorry, I've also read, um, the one with Kieran Eileen. Yeah. Never Let Me Go. Yeah. I've read that too yeah. recently. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was his last book 10 years ago. Um, and what I, one of the things I found great was that he, for the remains of the day, he won the Booker Prize. You know, I mean, it's, it can't get better than that. You've, you've won the Booker Prize. Amazing. I think it was his, what was it, his fourth, fourth novel? Something like that. Anyway, next book, five, six years later, slated. I mean, serious reviewers were saying it was one of the worst books they've ever read. It was absolutely awful. Um, but then it kind of divided people because other serious reviewers were saying this is an absolute masterpiece. What book was that? It's called The Unconsoled. Okay. And quite randomly, I have it on my bookshelf and I didn't steal it. I just like to say <laughs> where I was going with that sounded a little bit like I didn't know how it got there. I think somebody gave it to me or I got it in a secondhand bookshop and I just picked it up and I thought, oh, that's Nishiguro book. I'll read that in the future. Um, so when I was listening to this this uh, interview with him and he was talking about this book, I thought, well, I'll go and have a look at it. And um, and sure enough, oh, the quotes on it and stuff, there, there are some incredible quotes about it being an absolute masterpiece, blah, blah, blah. But the, it also said that it's really divided opinion and a lot of people really don't like it. And they've kind of drawn on that to get people interested in, in buying it and reading it. They're not afraid of that. Um, when he was talking about it, he said, you know what, I think it's actually, I'm really glad that it divided people. Um, and that's that's something he's quite proud of, you know. It's not he's not ashamed of it. But also at that stage of your career, I guess you've, you've had a Booker Prize win. Your next book is absolutely panned by a lot of people, but it doesn't matter, and it, because you're already the kind of writer that when a book comes out, people notice it and they talk about it. So wouldn't that be nice, Ian? Well, I think it's very um, commendable to be willing to go off in different directions and if you've got if you've written something or I guess if you've produced an album or you've made a film and um, people like it then the the obvious thing to do is to make the same thing again but generally the people who are successful for longest don't keep making the same thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. you try and do something different and sometimes that falls flat um, and, it, and it doesn't work out. Everyone's heard Franz Ferdinand's second album. And um, at other times, um, at other times it, it works. And, and Ishiguro is a really good example of an author who has um, kept moving, I suppose, although it has taken quite a long time to make the most recent move. Um, he's not felt sort of pigeonholed. Absolutely. And he said specifically that that's what he wants to do. He wants to try something different with each book. Um which is also very cool. And so The Buried Giant, his new book, is is a complete departure for him. And it's very interesting, also, the discussion that it's led to about fantasy, sci-fi and fantasy. 
um, I don't know if you've if you've read anything about it, but um, he claims it's it's not really a fantasy book, <laughs> even though there's dragons and ogres and things in it. Um, and I think that it's very, very... Um... Sounds like gritty realism to me. <laughs> well, Ursula Le Guin, the very, very famous um, SFF, as I believe it's called, writer, <laughs> um, picked up on the way that he was talking about sci-fi and fantasy and, and that tone that I suspect a lot of writers of literary fiction have when they're thinking when they think of, you know, what sci-fi and fantasy is. And she picked up on it and was very quick to kind of write about it and say this, you know, this is ridiculous, um, which led to a bit of a spat there in The Guardian. We'll put the the links to that in the show notes as well, which will be at 5by5.tv slash WFYL slash 152. Um, and when, I, when uh, he was interviewed, he was talking about the fact that it wasn't really, you know, I mean, it's not really fantasy. But, you know, there is a dragon in it and the odd ogre. Um, and and this bit in The Guardian was very interesting as well because it was talking about, does it really matter? Like, who who cares? Who cares if his book is a fantasy or not? Well, I mean, I'm, that's, um, that's my position on these things now. And um, I, I'm doing my best to read more broadly. But, you know, ultimately there are things that I like more than others. But... Um, yeah, I think that um, I think those don't you think feel like those barriers are being are being and have been broken down somewhat though the 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 slight snobbishness. I don't think so. I really don't think so because I think I mean Ishiguro is not a writer that's going to be concerned that the buried giant is only going to be um, shelved over in the sci-fi and fantasy section. But, you know, there are a lot of writers, I imagine, when they publish a book, would maybe be concerned that that would limit them if they if they are pigeonholed, that that less people are going to see them, less people are going to know about them. And that's that is not anything to do with the genre. It's just the fact that you don't want a genre in the first place, you know, because that's sort of narrowing down your audience. I guess so. I mean, what have you, what's your... Uh... What's your plan for the for your for your future career then? If you want to be like Ishiguro and keep on moving like the S Club Seven, yeah. um, there's a couple of cultural references for you next to each other. Um, what's your plan? Yeah, I mean that's a very good question. I guess for him, he didn't start out by writing a book that could be labelled as a fantasy so it really doesn't matter everybody is, has heard about it and every, I've actually I've already listened to it as an audio version I enjoyed it very much The Buried Giant um, I, I don't it's not I wouldn't really call it sci-fi fantasy which I've read a lot of in my life you know I'm not somebody that worries about that um, I don't know I guess I don't really know actually but I guess if you're going to write a sci-fi and fantasy book as your first book, then you're going to expect that less people are going to see it. Well, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I'm, I think one of the most difficult things to do, I think writing, I think this is why people find it difficult to write second books is because you write your first one and you kind of, um, um, you have no, well, you don't have one. <laughs> so such a stupid thing to say, but you don't have one that's gone before it. So you know, whatever you do, that's the that's the first one. That's the benchmark. This is what you've written about. This is what the tone's like. This is what your voice is like. Um, and there's nothing else to compare it to. But as soon as you write a second one, then 
you have a choice to make. You can write the same thing again or a similar style of thing, similar type of thing, or you can kind of bin most of it and try something completely different. And, um, and, and it suddenly becomes a choice that you have to make, whereas before that choice wasn't there because there was no comparison to be made. Um, and, and, it's, and speaking from experience, it's, it's really difficult. And to be honest, I think I'm probably going to be somewhere in the first camp where it's a similar sort of tone and a similar sort of style and, um, and, uh, and, and my voice, I suppose, which I think is, it's, uh, it, it is what it is. That's what my writing voice is. That's certainly what it's like at the moment and has been for the last few years maybe in 20 years time my career might go somewhere else but it feels like I'm on the former of the of the two but it does become difficult when you've got a choice and and it's why I think that um uh Ishiguro because it's easy to say what well, it's, it's Katsuo Ishiguro and you know he's he's presumably made enough money that writing's his thing and and um, he lives comfortably and he has the he's earned the right to pick and choose his um his his what he writes and how he writes it but that's kind of easy to say the the reality is every time he releases a book the pressure is amplified and so if he takes a huge risk and writes something entirely different then the pressure for that to be right is you know or to be received well is amplified too and um and so yeah i don't, I don't know i don't, i just think he's uh, i agree with you I, I don't know an awful lot about him as a person but um, having read a couple of his books, they were completely different, yeah. and uh, but both both good. And, and in some ways, you know, mm. you, you can the idea of voice. You could still there was still um, you know threads between them that showed that it was the same person that had authored it. Yeah, absolutely. And with this book, he hasn't said you know I want to do something different. I want to write a sci-fi fantasy book. He said that he wanted to write. He wanted to explore an idea, and that is, is it how do people forget or how do societies and cultures forget after horrific things that have happened within that culture and is it important and is it a good thing or is it a bad thing and that was what this whole novel came out of um which is like a really you know interesting concept and it just so happened that he felt that this was the best way to to represent that the exploration of those themes and ideas so all good stuff. The last thing I'd like to mention about him is that um, he he talked about the fact that he is a bit of a film nut and loves film um, and is obsessed with all sorts of different things to do with film. And I really enjoyed hearing that because I have sometimes in my life thought, oh dear, you know what? I love writing and and I you know I'm a poet and I and I have a book and all this kind of stuff, but. Do I love films more? Because I'm I'm obsessed with films and I'm obsessed with reading about films and f- knowing about, you know, just nonsense, rubbish about, cele- not celebrities, but about film stars throughout history. And sometimes I feel guilty that I spend so much time thinking or exploring films and not enough time exploring writers and writing. And then I'm like, who? This is the kind of, everybody has something else that, that really interests and inspires them. And we have the same thing. So I felt much better about myself after that, Ian. Well, I don't blame you. <laughs> um, did you know he, uh, he's an alumni of the, um, the Masters in Creative Writing from um, the University of East Anglia? Um, I did, yes. Yeah, so they, they must be proud of him, eh? 
Yeah, I would have thought so. Him and Ian McEwan, probably the two most celebrated graduates. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. So um, so I've been delving into to the life and writings of Ketsuo Ishiguro, so I would encourage anybody who has time to go and do the same. Um, yeah, so that's it. Um, Ian, it's terribly sad news about Terry Pratchett, wasn't it, this week? Um, yeah, 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 very sad news. He's... Um... Have you read uh, much Discworld? Well, no, and this is what I was going to say about it. It's he's always kind of been there in the background as someone that I thought, oh, I, I really should read, um, you know, because everybody I know who has read it has loved all of his stuff, but I've never, never read anything by Terry Pratchett ever. No, well, I've um, I've got a couple of uh, I think I probably I think I've got the first three Discworld novels, um, and. I made the mistake, although how was I to know? But I, um, I, 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 I tried reading them when I was too young, I think. Yeah. And um, and it just went completely above my head, and also the fact that um, I wasn't necessarily used to reading sort of fantasy, um, to be honest. But, but I, I was just too young. It was just uh, all a bit too much for me. But I've always meant to go back to it and and like you I never really have um but my this is such a ludicrous thing but one of my my main Discworld experience um is playing the Discworld computer game which I think was probably for the PC I don't think it was long enough ago that it would have been my my old Atari ST or Commodore 64 I think it was probably my PC but there was a you know the point and click style adventure game like Monkey Island that type of thing yeah good times there was a there was a Discworld one featuring Rincewind and the luggage and um and it was really, really good. <laughs> you spent many hours on that. I did spend many hours on that. I don't think I quite completed it because it was also ridiculously difficult <laughs> as computer computer games were back then. Um but uh, the humour was all in it and it was um uh it was voiced by Eric Idle. So it was quite Big budget in some ways, I presume. Yeah. You know, I presume big budget, but it was funny. It was like an, it was a computer game that was genuinely funny, and um, and because of that, I always meant to get back into the novels, but I never have. Um, and in, in, and kind of, there are so many Discworld novels that you kind of feel like it's an impossible task, really, to yeah. uh, to get through them all. But then again, you know, who knows? I I should I should read it. I feel like I should read the first one. I think that seems like the right thing to do, rather than just dip in anywhere and um, and see how I like it. Well, I, I was just, it's staggering the amount of of love and the outpouring of you know sadness mm. about his passing. I mean, he's seriously well respected and well loved literary figure. Um, I think that's been really fascinating to see. You know, every it's just yeah, a bit a big person has gone. Indeed. Mm. I was thinking how uh, I often come across poets when that happens. That's really bad, isn't it? That, you know, if, if a poet has passed away and I see news of that somewhere, then I actually go and check out their poems. And I found I've come across quite a few poems where I've thought, wow, their work is fantastic just because of that. And that's that's very depressing. The fact that, you know, it takes... It, that's That's how it's like a dead poet society. It really is, you know. Ah, but you know that's kind of that's how it works. That's kind of how it works sometimes. All that all of this news attention comes to 
people who wouldn't necessarily have had it. Uh, I mean, even I know she's alive, so. <laughs> oh, no, who are you going to talk about now? Harper Lee. Oh yes, yeah. I know, I know she's alive, and she has a new book coming out. But you know, she was she was. Um, so it's not the same. Look, I acknowledge that I'm talking now about someone who has not yet died. Exactly. But also because you know who Harper Lee is and you know her book, whereas a lot of these poets I have never heard of and I've never seen any of their poetry before. And it's only when I see that they have passed away that I actually read them. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Anywho. Well, is there anything else you'd like to finish off with this week, Ian? There is. Well, we need to finish off with some... Um, some tremendous news. Ooh, that's great. Go for it. Hit us. Well, two, actually, I've just realised there are two pieces of tremendous news, and one of them actually is quite good news, but it's good news for me. I'll do that afterwards. Um, but uh, the good news is uh, that someone, a brilliant listener of ours, came up with a listener's answer. Yes, we don't have a listener's question this week, but we do have a listener's answer. <laughs> I don't know what happened at the end there, but I liked it. Yeah, it went a little bit higher than I expected. Indeed. So, um, Andrew Einsbruch, um on Twitter, at Einsbruch, E-I-N-S-P-R-U-C-H. I don't know how I should say that. Einsbruch, Einsbruch, Einsbruch. What would you go for? Einsbruch. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Um, he has provided the answer to the mystery question from episode 150 where we weren't quite sure how to um, celebrate we weren't quite sure if what the word was for celebrating something that was 150 so we know what happens you know you celebrate a century you know you celebrate a half century but what do you what's what's 150 years or in our case episodes as it were back then and um, and Andrew has provided the, the answer. Would you like to share it with us, Donna? Oh, yeah, but I haven't got it in front of me now, have I? That's so typical that you ask. I'm going to see whether I can remember. It was a sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial. So that was our sesquicentennial episode, number 150. Um, and, it, and it's a sesquicentury. Yeah. And I just think of Sasquatch when I see that word. Me too. I call my... Uh, my little boy, Seth Squatch. His name's Seth. Oh, Yeah, well, that's exciting. That's a new word for us. Um, it's. I was thinking it's going to be uh, a long time before I get to use it again, I'm sure. Or, as, as Andrew pointed out to us, if we got on board and celebrated the London Scottish Golf Club, which was founded in 1865... I wonder if they're having big celebrations for their sesquicentennial. Well, we should celebrate with them. I think we should do it now. Let's all raise a glass to the uh, London Scottish Golf Club on their sesquicentury of existence. Yes, many congratulations from us and all our listeners. Uh, (laughs) And what was your news? Because you've got some happy good news. Yes. I always think when you do a podcast that's just under an hour long and you've got some genuine news and um, and you want to actually sell something to people that you should wait until the very last minute when no one's listening anymore to um, to convey that information. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, um, the good news for me is that, um, and you listeners, is that um, Aes Frangelica, my debut novel, is going to be re-released um, as a special edition. Oh, I know. Legend Press, who published it, are 
celebrating the 10th year of being Legend Press and publishing numbers of books every year. And they've chosen five iconic debuts, that's what they're calling it, um, and what they're re-releasing it? the... <laughs> no, Pardon? Sorry, sorry, carry on. Um, uh, five iconic debuts, and, um, and, and mine is uh, one of them, A.S. Frangelica, and it means that it's going to be a completely new edition, so it's going to have a, its own ISBN. It's going to have a new price, I believe, which is going to be, I think, eight ninety nine in the UK. Um, I'm sure that you'll be able to get it cheaper um, in a number of places, but that's the official RRP. And um, excitingly, it's got um, a, a, an updated cover. Oh, has now, it? It has, yeah. I didn't know that. That's really exciting. Have you seen it? Well, well, this is this is the big reveal. This is why it's ridiculous for me to have waited until this point in the podcast to share it, because it's quite interesting. Um, I don't have an actual picture of it yet. Um, I don't even really have completed proofs of it. But I do know that it's going to be um, a wraparound cover. So the book is going to be as it was. So it's the original cover by Jonathan Wilkinson, it's the, which is the artwork on the front of the, the, uh, the first edition, as I can now call it. Um, so that's going to stay, but it's going to be... It's going to have a wraparound that has uh, a die cut. So on the front of the wraparound, I can't quite remember the wording, but it's something to do with special special edition or, or I don't know, something to do with Legend Press or something to do with collection. Something exciting written on the front. But then the, the that, that kind of material is going to be die cut with at least one or two holes in so you can see the original cover poking through. And... Um, uh, I'm still light on details, to be perfectly honest, apart from the fact that it comes out on the 20th of April, so not long. Um, it's going to be published in the UK, so it won't be available in print um, anywhere else. But um, once I know more and I know how many copies I'm going to get, um, I'm going to uh, do some sort of giveaway. And um, again, the best place to, assuming that this doesn't happen before next week, which is our final show before the maternity leave, uh, the best place, if you're interested in getting a copy of that, I'll probably sign them and that kind of thing. Wear some lipstick, give it a kiss. Um, uh, if you're interested in, in that type of thing, that giveaway, then the best place to find out about it is going to be on my newsletter, as I discussed earlier, ianbroom.com slash um, mailing dash list. Um, so if you go there and sign up, or you can go to ianbroom.com, it's on the front there, You can there's a button to sign up on the front of the site. Um, and that's probably where I'm going to tell people first about how to get their hands on a copy. But yeah, it's quite it's quite nice for a book that, as we've discussed many times, has now been out two and a half years, and there is no kind of there's no marketing around it whatsoever. It's just little me, my podcast, and my blog and Twitter doing doing my best to keep uh, any kind of momentum. So the fact that it's going to have this extra publicity and kind of extra oomph is you know is really really good. It's great news. Congratulations. Thanks, Don. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, so we better say goodbye, I guess, and see you next time for our last episode for a little while. Indeed, you can find me on Twitter at Ian Broom, I A I N B R O O M E, and me at the Flying Poet. Would love to see you there, and also on the Right for Your Life hashtag, which is just W F Y L. Indeed. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs>